and welcome to Conversations on Karate. I'm Sue. I'm Greg. And this is part two of our conversation with Hanshi Patrick McCarthy. We hope you enjoy it. It's another good long section of um, him talking to us. And um, unfortunately, at the end of this, we lost Greg a little bit. So when yeah. he disappears... <laughs> I got lost. We lost him. Somewhere we in, lost... The, in the cloud. Yeah, yeah. the... Uh... Internet. Technology decided not to play in the last mm. uh, 15 minutes of our yeah. podcast with Hanshi. But um, we hope you enjoy it. We do. Let us know your feedback. And uh, let us know anything you want us to ask Hanshi next time we have him on. Because yes. fingers crossed, we, he will be back. We will indeed be back. And um, we'd love to hear if any of this was new to you. Because there was lots of uh, points of history in here that uh, I'd certainly never heard of. And it was new to you as well, wasn't it, Greg? Mm. So I'm um, completely fascinated about the stories about the militia and um, the demonstrations yes. of CASA that went on. Um, yes. Let us know if you've not heard them before. Yeah, stay in touch during this wonderful time. Yes, <laughs> enjoy this. If, yeah. you're, if you're listening to this during the lockdown. Um, yeah, which we're currently in. We're currently in this. Use, it to, what... use it to stay sane if you can. <laughs> or it might make you more insane listening to us, I don't know. Okay. Enjoy the episode, people. Bye. Yeah. Enjoy. Goodbye. We're not meant to be doing the same thing the same way. If only just our own physicalness of that. We're not all the same. We're all different. And that needs to be reflected in the art that brings us together, if only for a functional uh, pathway. Yeah. Yeah, what what you what you said there is it's made me question a lot about kata as well. Think you think about what you said there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just just in terms of when you say exploring bunkai and and stuff like that is, you know, we're probably still wasting a lot of time on stuff that you really don't need. Hey, can I can I can I mention something to you? Uh, just because you just I just heard you say a word incorrectly, and I I wanted to. Oh, I wanted to tell you something. So, you know, when I was first in Japan, and I was very nervous about trying to speak another language. And, and uh, so, uh, anyway, I, I uh, was on a train coming back from Tokyo. And, like, oh, come on, like, you know, I'm from the colonies, man, Canada, you know. And, and uh, you know, it's been a long time in, in Australia. And, and good Canadian boys are brought up to, you know, respect uh, everybody and certainly our elders and the opposite gender and you know I was always the guy who opened the door and said good morning very polite and, you know anyway I'm on a train in Japan Japan's a man's world by the way you know and uh, the trains are very famous for being crowded and you know an old an old, old older woman got on the train and and there was no seat I could see there's no seats available for her and she looked around there was no seats she, and she had a kind of a backpack on and I'm like Jesus Christ I'm going to give her my seat but I knew I knew it's, you know, it's just after three o'clock in the afternoon and the trains are saturated with uh, students, you know, and the student would never give a stand up and give an older person that is completely oblivious in that way. So I, I, I want the woman to, do so I kind of, I kind of, I kind of lean up from the chair and I put my hand on the seat where my ass was and I'm arching up and I'm, I'm kind of waving over to the woman. I put that so the kid don't steal my seat. I look over and I say, oh my God, you know, you don't need to know what that means. But anyway, and I wave to the woman. I say, you know, and uh, the old woman looks at me. She goes, and she, she kind of runs down, not run, but, you know, scattles down to the other end of the train with this look on her face like, oh my God. And the kids beside me are kind of laughing, you know, like, what's going on? You know? So I get home, I said to my wife, I said, honey, did, did I say something wrong? She goes, and I, I tell her the scenario. And she says, uh, oh, my God, you mix up the word sue for the word sa. And I, I said, I, I meant to say, please, please come over here and sit here. Please come. And so, so I'm, 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 I'm arched. I'm like this. I'm arched up like this. You know, the hand on it, I'm waving to come over here, like this on thing. Bozo, oh, somebody could I, which means, in my opinion, means please come over and sit here. And and suwari means to sit down. Sawari means to touch. So what I was saying to her, hey, <laughs> come and touch here. 
<laughs> oh my, oh my God. So, so, so it's not bunkai. It's that's a, that's an interesting word. It's bunkai. Bunkai. Maybe it's my yeah. it's my it's my English Somerset accent. Maybe taking over. And and just uh, let me give you one more quickly. So uh, I'm in Japan now four or five months. My wife goes back to her uh, Furusato, Furusato, uh, Furusato. Uh, her, her hometown, her, she goes back to her hometown up in Nagano in the uh, Japanese Alps. I'm home for myself for a week and I go, oh, I, in those days I was a terrible cook. Look at me now, I loved, I'm a great cook, right? And, and so I, I go, oh my God, I, I need to get some food, I'm hungry. So I, we live in this tiny little village called Fujisawa and I'm really on the outskirts of it. And just, just like around uh, uh, 50 meters from my house, is a little akachochin, a red lantern style. You know, you, you can get uh, yakitori and uh, small little uh, kind of uh, uh, las tapas style plates of food. You know, you, it's not like a isakaya where you get a full dinner, but you can go sit down at the counter and have a beer and a glass of sake or shochu or something and a couple of little, so I go in. And I love these uh, grilled, uh, so imagine you get uh, steamed rice, right, or rice, and, uh, and then you, you, you kind of fashion it into a ball, you know, like a sticky ball. And then you, you peel it open and then you put, you, you can put a piece of fish on the inside or a piece of meat or, or, or some, uh, uh, some tofu or, you know, and you put it inside and then you, and then you grill it, you grill it on a, on a hibachi grill. And then you can, you can wrap it in some seaweed or something like nori or something like that. And they're called um, um, onigiri. Onigiri, that's how you say it. So if you went into one of these and you wanted some onigiri, you might say, hi, and the, the woman might say, hi, and uh, you know, that, uh, you know, what do you want? I go, uh, onigiri kudasai. Ah, yeah, uh, give me some, give me some onigiri. And she might ask you what pipe or somewhere. And uh, yeah, and namabiri uh, kudasai, you know, and give me a bottle of draft beer as well. So I go into the, I go into the, and you know, being a foreigner in the mid 1980s in Japan, you know, I mean, uh, now it's there's so many foreigners. It's so common now. But but I wasn't in Tokyo. I was like far from Tokyo, way down in Kanagawa Prefecture, and I was on the outskirts of this little town. So it was very oh my god, there's the look everybody, there's the foreigner. You know, it was it was not uncommon for kids to stop in the street and go oh go you you know my god mom look there's a foreigner over there you know. So I go into this little bar, and this, this little bar is like, there's only like 10 stools at the at the counter, and there's a couple of little uh, tatami areas. So you, you probably couldn't, 20 people would have been overpacked in this place, right? And it was run by the Mama-san, who I, we got to know very, very well in the many years that we lived there later. And I come in, and I sit down at the bar, and there's a couple of old guys beside me. And you got to remember, just down the street, like around uh, 100 meters down the street, there's a, a place called... Uh, uh, it's a uh, kind of a nightclub, you know, the black cat nightclub, you know, and there's the mama son. She's serving you for a different reason over there, you know, and it's a kind of ladies of the night are over there, so to speak. And uh, so when I sit down at the at the restaurant, she goes, hi, what would you like? And I said, <clears throat> and she went, <laughs> like, what? And I went, I look and you know, guys always have to growl when they talk. You, you can't say, you know, you're like, you know, like that, right? So I go, I look at her and I go, oh, didn't you understand my Japanese? And she goes, and the old guy beside me is laughing. He's like, you know, which means, yeah, me too. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, fortunately, there was some onigiri on the grill being cooked. And I pointed, I went, oh, no, I did this, you know. Just the same as those. And she looks at me, she goes, ah, onigiri. And I went, oh, it's not I mean, what I said. <laughs> anyway, I get home. My wife gets home. She goes, what did you do this time? I said, I don't know. I was at the restaurant. And I wanted to get some onigiri. I said, give me some onigiri. And she goes, oh, my God. She says, you know what you just said? I went, no, I wanted some rice. You know, she goes, okay, first of all, it's onigiri, not onigiri. And onna means girl, and giri in this case means like grilled. So there's no such thing as a grilled girl. So, so in, in, in slang, 
the deduction would mean some hot pussy, you know? So I sit down at the table, there's a conservative middle-aged woman, I go, hey, can I help you? I'd like to get some hot pussy, you know? <laughs> so, so my name for the next few months became Mr. Onigiri. And the guys love me because they go down the street and get some Onigiri if you want, you know? My wife, we're not going over there. <laughs> anyway, that's so my, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, but you know, even in uh, in English, you know, we, we, for example, we'll use, uh, um, oh, did I lose you? No, there. Yeah, we'll, uh, we, we say jujitsu, for example. That's very common today. And if you look at it in the Webster's Dictionary, uh, it's spelled jujitsu. But in, in the, let me ask you a question, for example, uh, about Japanese language, you know. Um, in when you have a kumite, yes, in Shotokan, you have kumite. Mm -hmm. What kind yeah. of kumite is it that you do? Uh, well, I mean, traditionally, it's the three-step, one-step, you know. Yeah, no, it, what's the freestyle stuff called? Oh, jiu kumite. Jiu kumite. Yeah. Jiu jitsu jiu kumite, right? Yeah. So, so jiu, in this case, means free, like free spine, right? Mm -hmm. And But in, in jiu-jitsu, I see they, they call it jiu jitsu. Which means, so we know now that the, the pronunciation of that word means free. And, and then in Japanese, you can say, for example, I say, Honjutsu, you know, today is a special day, you know, or, uh, what day of the week is this week, you know? And I use the word jitsu. So jitsu, especially when you see it written, means day. So jujitsu would mean free day. And free day would be like a vacation, right? I have a free day. I have a day off. So, so wouldn't jujitsu mean free day? And actually, it does. But it's again one of these mistakes that are made in the language, which has become entrenched in our language. Yeah. That even if it was correctly pronounced as jujutsu, jujutsu which is exactly how it's pronounced. Nobody would know what you're talking about. Yes, I practice jujitsu. What's that? Is that like jujitsu? And I see that it's, you know, the romanization of a lot of the Japanese words are spelt a certain way. <laughs> There's some other things I won't go there today. But um, so J-U, J-U-T-S-U, properly spells the art of jiu-jitsu. But as I say, jiu-jitsu has become so entrenched in our vocabulary mm -hmm. that if you say it another way, somebody look at it, it's like, what the hell is he talking about? That's not what we're doing. Anyway, as I said in the beginning of our interview that I have, will be jumping on a horse and going in seven different directions at one time, it's just, that's, what, that's the way my brain is wired. <laughs> No, I think it's, it's great. I, I I could talk to you for hours, honestly. I could listen to you talk for ages. Um, yeah, I think we, we this has got a lot to unpack. And Sue's gonna Sue does all the editing, so I. I, I Sue's actually part. for everybody who's listening at home, and you're not looking at the visual. Sue's actually there. I can see her in the window. Hi, Sue. Say hello. Say hello. Hello, I'm here. Hi, I am just in case anyone Please. thought I'd stepped out, and I was just letting you two do all the talking. I'm just sitting here, just absorbing everything. It's lovely just to hear you talk. It's been, you know, it's been an absolute privilege and education just listening to you, you guys talk. To be fair, thank you. That, I, I thank you for saying that. It's nice that you care and share. I, let me say another thing. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends in the entertainment industry as well, and. Uh, and some of them are, are uh, you know, journalists as well. And they say, you know, some of the toughest interviews they've ever had is trying to get someone to respond to questions. You know, they'll say, so, uh, you know, this is a very fascinating thing. Please walk me through that. And they point the microphone and the guy says, yes, I trained hard. <laughs> they said, with McCarthy, man, just turn it on. Uh, some years ago, I was uh, asked by uh, a martial art uh, company here named Masters Martial Art Publication. Yeah. Uh, and and, and, and uh, that's run by Val Mihailovich, who's, uh, who's not just a great person, he's also a very well-established uh, martial arts student of Takuboto here. A great guy, powerful martial arts. You've never, he's such a wonderful personality. Anyway, he said, 
when I first met him, uh, uh, a friend of mine named Don Warner had arranged for me to go down to the studio and do a photo shoot and, and uh, do some of these DVDs with him. And they said, okay, uh, uh, Mr. McCarthy, uh, you know, uh, here's what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to put you over there in that chair. And the first part is going to be the interview. We'd like to talk about, uh, say, the dining on Patokokai. We understand you're, uh, you know, you have some knowledge. So uh, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And the end result is that we'd like to know more about the historical and political infrastructure of the Dinabon Patokai. You know, how it started, you know, who were the main characters, and how karate works in there, stuff like that. And, and he says that, uh, you know, uh, the camera's going to be here, but there's another camera. It's a three-camera shoot, by the way. And then, and so you, you keep an eye on the director. And when he goes like when he goes like this, he's going to go three, two, one, and point like that. And you're going to go. And so that's why I, you know. So you have the smooth transition to look to this camera. He goes. He goes. Are you okay with that? Do you think you can do that? I, went, I, I think so. And he goes. Okay. He says. Well, anyway. So we set up, and he asked me the first question. He goes. Uh, can you tell me something about the origins of the Butoku Kai? And I'm like, yes, sir. 45 minutes later, he goes, that's a wrap. And, I, and he goes, I've never had anybody do that before. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I've had all kinds of masters in here for this and that and shooting this. And, and he said, I've never had anybody sit down and ask him one question. We did a whole DVD on one take. And I went, oh, is that unusual? He goes, I said, no. I said, I, he says, you really know your content well. Well, I was, I was going to say, I think that speaks to your to your depth of knowledge more than anything. I think, you know, sometimes when people haven't got much to say is because they don't really know what they're talking about. Whereas with you, you clearly do. So, you know, I, I think it's a good thing. Hey, I wonder if I get a chance to meet you guys again. Uh, as I say, I'm going, hey, let me just, uh, I should have done it earlier because I'm actually on my computer right now. Let me just, I hope I'm not losing you. I just want to look in this folder to my itinerary here is 2020. Okay, look, I'm going to be in Newton Abbott. Oh, sorry, it's July. Okay, my apologies. I'm going to be in Newton Abbott with uh, Sensei John Burke, the Bankai guy, <laughs> uh, on the 4th and 5th of July. Cool. Which is summer, great weather. Yeah. So we will we will try and get down there. Absolutely. Definitely. You know that part. I've been down to his dojo many times over the last 20 years. Mm. And, and one time he took me down there and, uh, you know, we went to Turkey and all these great, great places. And I was, you know, I, I love uh, British humor, you know. And uh, I remember John, please, oh, Fulton Towers. And I went, yeah, you know, he goes, let's check down there. He said, well, I'll take you down. And so we went to visit Fulton Towers, which, which is, now I just heard that they ripped that place down. Uh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought, I mean, God, I thought that would be, uh, you know, like a kind of historically important place that could never be, never be removed because they didn't. I, mean, I, was, I would have liked to think so, but maybe not. You know how many episodes of that television series that were, now you're going to remember, I mean, that Faulty Towers was so entrenched, and not just in British culture, but in comedy in general. Yeah, oh, yeah there wasn't many, there wasn't many, was there? Like a dozen episodes. Yeah. Yeah, it was like incredible. I thought, nice. Can you imagine such a little thing having such a big impact? Mm. It means that one person can make a difference in spite of all odds. And that's something that's always been at the forefront of uh, the way I think about what it is that we do. Because for the longest time, I used to think, well, who the hell am I? Just some Canadian guy from a, a little town on the east coast of Canada. But I'm just passionate about what it is that I do. And that I, I had no idea that I would, was going to be a person who helped usher in uh, a generation of people who would take this for granted that that's what it is. And you know, the funny part about it today is is that it's just, you know, I mean, the happy theory is so it's so concise. I mean, there's a, how else could you look at you know learning to do anything? You got to have the outcome in mind first. You work backwards, depending on what the circumstances are, to figure a way out. You know, yeah. and then you get veracity through aggressive resistance. And surely, and, you know, and even at the end, let's just hypothetically say that you, know, you train for a certain amount of time, and you, you know, you were following a, a, a pathway process that led to functionality, and then, uh, and then all of a sudden, I mean, out of the blue, boom, it happens one day. You know, the guy, whatever, and you're not able to get it to work. 
you know, because of what, what, what you know, maybe you had a couple of drinks or you, you were caught off guard or you, mm-hmm. you got stunned and in a posture without choking unconscious. Or, you know, so even though you were very good at what you just got caught under certain circumstances. And that's what I loved about Funagoshi's uh, work, by the way. And I'm a big supporter of Funagoshi, by the way. A lot yeah. of people don't give him credit that's due. But I mean, uh, if you, so, so when I was growing up, uh, there was a book called Karate no Kyohan, mm-hmm. which was uh, published by Kodansha International. Yeah. Same people who turned down my Bubishi, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I have to thank Gene Help for that because he's the guy who put me in touch with the, a title. That's another story. And uh, and so uh, when I was getting, I, I got to uh, one page. I think it's page two hundred and forty-eight of the Karate no Kyohan that was translated into English by. Oshima Tsutumu, um, you know, a Shotokai practitioner mm-hmm. living right here in Los Angeles, by the way. And it's funny because when I, when I was getting more deeply involved with the translation of Bubishi, I came across uh, documents, uh, we referred to them as uh, uh, document uh, 14 and uh, 16. Uh, one is on the use of the hard fist, the other was escapes and uh, escapes encounters uh, from acts of physical violence, which are habitual in nature. And, and, and page 248 of uh, Oshima's uh, translation of Kordiro Kyohan, uh, you see the Chinese text there, and underneath it, you say it, it's something like, uh, I couldn't translate this because it's what they call kanbun. Kanbun is a type of poetry. It's very, very difficult to understand. But I translated it. I, mean, I didn't have any problem translating I, I had a problem, but I, I got through it. And I remember contacting Oshima in those days and saying, hey, Sensei, I, you know, I know I have your book. It's been a Bible to me for many years the master text, and uh, I just wanted to send you the translation of what uh, was on page 248. And he wrote back to me, I, I, you know, I kept his, his facts and was like, oh, Sensei, okay, thank you very much. You know, you, you've done a, you know, a nice uh, a nice contribution where I wasn't able to do it. Thank you so much. That was it, nothing else. Right? And so for many years, I just kind of left it like that. And then um, a girl uh, whose, whose surname uh, is uh, Suzuki Johnson, obviously Japanese, who married a foreigner. And uh, she was the translator of a book that her husband bought. Sadly, he passed away, by the way, from cancer now. Um, they, had a, uh, they had a company called Neptune Publications. And Neptune Publications was basically created to publish the, this translation of Michi Fumagosi's work, Karate um, no And you got our you have to read that translation. Yeah, I've got, I've got it. I've got it upstairs. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah I've, I've got both. I've got the the, um, the hardback, and they they did they recently did a, a paperback version. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's a remarkable piece of work. I, I'm envious of those. You know, you put ten translators in a room and give them one piece of paper, and and let them have experience in contextual premise. You're going to get ten different versions of the same thing. You know. Yeah. Uh, I tell you that 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 the translation. I just became an automatic. So I read the book so many times, uh, and I thought, my God, you know, you know, Funagoshi was never able to teach part of what he knew. I mean, you mm. know, and, but that book was a wonderful uh, uh, exposition of, of what there was to knowing. And there you clearly see it: the joint locks, pressure yeah. point take, throws, grappling, grappling. Mm-hmm. It's all there. It's all there. And, and you know, when I sit back and remember those JKA guys who were really uh, most uh, critical of my work in the 80s and 90s, I look back now and say, you know, where are they now? You know, And some of them, as I say, my joke is they're doing it. And that's good. doesn't matter how you get there, long as you can, long as you can get there. Mm-hmm. That's what a pathway should be. The pathway should be able to take you there. And, and, and don't worry so much about you know, the lineage, your patch, the loyalty to your club or all that type of thing, you know, from a self-defense point of view, you know, because, you know, today as a cultural recreation, you know, I was just in Okinawa last year. I, I went to help a friend of mine out over there, serve as a translator. And, and uh, yeah, I did a couple of seminars and stuff like that when I was there. Well, I'll tell you, it was a pretty disappointing. I was, I was pretty, I was, well, first of all, the, first of all, Okinawa's changed an enormous amount, you know, and it's so modern now with a rapid transit and big highways and, you know, that little town, 
village type feel that we once knew as long gone. Mm. Commercialism. I mean, you know, karate is the number one export, you know, and uh, I mean, Okinawa has always been known for its shipping and reshipping. That's what it was. It's, you know, strategically and geographically located uh, between, you know, Korea, China, and Southeast Asia and Taiwan. Uh, and, and for the Japanese, Okinawa had always been a wonderful place because of its weather uh, to go have your honeymoon. You know, oh, we go to Moon Beach, have a wonderful honeymoon. And then, of course, you know, the military bases are there, which make up a lot of the economy. But these days, you know, since about the, the early 1990s with the, you know, the uh, in 1992, Okinawa was supposed to take back itself from the American occupation, so to speak. And uh, that never happened, by the way. And then, uh, you know, uh, millions and millions of, uh, sorry, hundreds of millions of yen, millions of dollars, were funneled into Okinawa to help restore the castle and, uh, you know, uh, invoke uh, language, the old-style language, and, you know, the Rukyu culture, so to speak. And, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, karate. You know, Okinawa's the birthplace of karate. So, uh, so... And now, I mean, my God, it's it's uh, so commercial there. There's, there's everything that you can possibly imagine to do there with regards to karate. You know, even on the flight that I took down, the flight I took down, it was uh, on on the side of the flight where there were karate people on. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen the plane, yeah. That's awesome. Anyway, things have changed uh, enormously. And I say, I tell people who are very enthusiastic about, about going to Okinawa, I said, "Good, you go. You you're gonna have a great time." It's you know, and it's like I kind of liken it to Hawaii, for example. You know, like a, like like Hawaiians, their ethnicity is not American. You know, I mean, America is a melting pot of all kinds of cultures. You know, and uh, Hawaii, traditionally speaking, was not it. The Polynesian culture there. You know, Okinawa, their ethnicity is not Japanese. But, you know, I mean, since uh, the Satsuma in April 1609, and, and more specifically since, uh, you know, the, the, the change from feudalism into a major period, uh, it's been under Japanese occupation. So Japanese money, the emperor, you know, all, all, everything, everything is Japanese there, you know. And so, I mean, you go to Okinawa and speak uh, Okinawan to somebody, nine times out of ten, they're not going to have any idea what you're talking about. It's like you went to Hawaii and spoke Hawaiian, to, uh, to somebody who probably wouldn't know what you're talking about. But it makes for a nice uh, comparison about uh, the culture. And they have great food there and, 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 uh, and lots of sightseeing. And, you know, because it's uh, you know, one of the best aquariums next to say, San Diego in the world is there in Okinawa. It's really, and, and there's something there in Japanese culture itself, which a lot of people feel right away when they get there. But they're not able to articulate or quantify it into uh, terms. Uh, they say, oh, yeah, I, I went to Okinawa, but it was my first time. I didn't know anybody. But they were so friendly. And gee, the karate master came and picked me up at the airport. And he wouldn't let me pay for anything. and gave me a gift when I left. And I was like, it was, it was so great, you know. Well, and then, you know, they, they got a, nobody knows about Tatemai or Honnei, for example, you know which is the facade in Japanese culture, which prevents even enemies from publicly hating each other, you know, because that's not the way things are done in Japanese culture. And so if you're going to go to Okinawa, you're going to have a wonderful time because there's no threat to your insecurities there because tatemai prevents it, you see, and uh, and honei is never experienced unless you're drunk or angry, and that's the only way you ever see it. And that's very rare to you see that in the culture. But if you're going to go to Okinawa, find the secrets. I don't think you're going to be, I think you're going to walk away uh, disappointed with that. Mm. And so what happens is, and sadly, it's kind of a reflection of where we are in karate today. Because, you know, I will talk about the type of things that I talk about. And somebody who so hasn't got to that, you know, point on the journey who has been to Okinawa or Jack Bam once or twice. So, oh, McCarthy doesn't know what he's talking about. I was there. I met them. I had a great time. What the hell does he know? And like I said at the beginning of the interview, I don't talk about these guys to disrespect them. They're wonderful people. Mm. And they have been wonderfully nice to me. And I was only talking about one part of a larger whole. Let's say, let's liken it to a bicycle wheel. 
a bicycle wheel has many spokes. And if you took a few spokes out, it still functions. But if only had one spoke, it wouldn't function. So I'm only thinking about one or two spokes on the, on the wheel. And it has largely to do with the functionality. And the guy says, oh, I saw so-and-so in Okinawa. He's like a world karate champion. There's always a world champion somewhere. And there's always someone somewhere who's going to be better than the other guy. And there's, there's great, I saw, I saw lots of great fighters in Japan. And I, I had my ass handed to me on a platter many, many times in Japan. Uh, you know, it's, that's just part and parcel of training. You know. But did I find someone who was able to quantify what the art was from a functional point of view and how it worked and delivered in a, in a language that was identifiable and understandable? And the, and the answer was no, I didn't. While I found great fighters and excellent kata people, and some guys who were like really, and you know how many times you find somebody that really, this guy is incredible. Oh, that girl is fantastic, but they can't teach, or or they mm. or they're only they're, they just they just they only do it as a competitor, and then you know when the when their competitive career is over, you know they hang around for a year or two, maybe judge or something like that, or coach, and then they finally leave. You know, and what is it that really keeps people? Um, in touch with the this tradition, it has to become something more than kicking and punching. It has to become something greater than physical violence. And that's where the lifestyle, this this idea that you know, you know, I can go somewhere, you know, on the floor with somebody, and in five minutes, I can realize how fallible I am, or 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 how how you know you, by the way we should have had this interview when i was like in my 20s because I, I i knew everything then there wasn't anything i didn't know in my 20s i like I, and you know and the funny the older you get <laughs> the more you realize how little you actually do know and and how where you may have once been really good at something else now other kids are kicking your ass and you know and i was like we laugh and so some of the biggest problems I have with, is with big beginners who come to my dojo and I'm on the ground with them. I go, okay, uh, okay, hang on for a second. Did Sensei just tap? No, I was kind of not tapping. I was just kind of asking to stop from snapping my neck. You know, I, I know you're only 19 and you know, like nine stone, but you know, you're very strong and I didn't want to, you know, bite your testicles off or something. I, you know, and you let go now. I'm sorry, did I hurt you? Yes, you did, you know. It's 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 funny. It's funny about that learning curve, you know. And how how do you get it to work so that you can go and enjoy your training all the time, and 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 not wind up in a wheelchair somewhere, you know, or able to be some dangerous practice. And that's the beauty of the tradition. And that's the beauty of you know interacting with all these different type of people is because it gives you a great uh, cross reference of what's available. And you, you might see some guy who's doing, I don't know, Slat, Jimmy Kuntal, Pukalan, and some guy doing Kalari over here, and another guy was a Kali guy, or uh, you a Shimokan guy, or, you know, the, I, I remember uh, back in the 90s there, I bumped a couple guys uh, who were big supporters of mine back in the day. Uh, uh, Vince Morris was one, uh, Nathan Johnson was another one, and stuff like that. And, and was, these guys were very passionate about what we were doing, but they had their own take on the way it was uh, delivered. Mm. And I thought, that's what information is for. The, the experience provides the groundwork from which knowledge comes. How you use the knowledge is another thing. And like I said, you want everybody to get one package, you know, not everybody get this. I teach you something, you go, wow, dude, that was great. Uh, what do you think of that? I hated it. It didn't work for me at all, you know. And so, you know, one guy's big and strong and 25 years old, and the other girl is uh, 45 years old, uh, mother of four, you know, goes to the dojo once every two weeks, you know. And so, so where's the, you know, where's the stuff that we can all enjoy together? And so that when I go to the dojo, I'm not in fear of being killed or injured or hurt, but I can go and, and, and it becomes as much a part of my life as my life becomes a product of what I'm practicing. And I think that's the wonderful part about what it is that brings us together. So it doesn't matter what your style is or where you're from. If you're likening what we do to a pathway, then doesn't it depend upon how far down the pathway you are before uh, it becomes evident that the goal 
is not the destination. It is the journey. Mm. And the more people that you encounter, the wider your vision becomes, and the deeper your understanding of, of what brings us together uh, becomes. And, and in that regard, I think the names for, you know, styles and all that type of thing, they don't become quite as important as is the experience of learning and the knowledge that comes with it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, I, yeah. That was that was brilliant. I mean, how did we? You done that? We didn't even get the question. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think we've got plenty to unpack there. But I think I mean, if you're happy to, I'd love to do this again. Um, yeah, we have another question for next time. <laughs> yeah, we'll do another. We'll do another. We'll have another yeah. whole question I mean, the next time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be brilliant. Because there's just there's there's so much we could cover. Look, I um, you know, I made this 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 last year this uh, these last couple th couple three years very very trying for us. You know, uh, um, I uh, and 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 it, it wasn't before that I got diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, and uh, and and that was not the reason why we wanted to leave Australia. But it's melanoma, by the way. You know, we have a problem down in Australia. Uh, well, that's the problem. The problem exists down in Oceania, but the the a problem with the ozone layer, like there isn't any, <laughs> you know, and and the, the hole in, in the atmosphere keeps getting bigger and bigger, and so often we have to keep an eye on our UV ratings because it's it's, it's terrible. And one of our our uh, sadly uh, common deaths and fatalities in in Australia is, is melanoma. Yeah. That, well, that's another thing. I, I, it wasn't that that made us want to leave the country. There were a few things. So part of the idea of the immigration process of coming to the United States was because I traveled so much and the, and the traveling was literally killing me. I mean, I was, you know, away from home sometimes for 10 months at a time. You know, not, not 10 months, I go away for two to four months. And, you know, think about it. I, so I live in Brisbane, Australia, and I had to go to Europe to teach in St. London. Okay, so I say, you know, I'm not going to pay my own way there. You know, I mean, I love everybody I work with, but I'm not rich, so I can't do that, right? So they say, look, you want me to go to London to teach? You've got to at least pay my airfare, you know, and, and throw a couple of bob in my pocket for my time. And, you know, if you don't mind, I mean, I don't, I, I don't have to eat fancy. I just, you know, fish and chips good for me. We go to the wherever, I go to the pub, have a pint, and I'm good with that, you know. So there were meals, there was uh, accommodation. Unless I could stay at your place or something like that, you know, there was hotel or motel or something like that, and, and food. Well, it was kind of an expensive thing, right? So I look and look, and I go, "Geez, you know, I mean, that's not." And you know, I, I'm a big guy. I'm sitting in a little tiny airplane. It takes like more than thirty hours to get to uh, Europe uh, to my final destination with one or two uh, plane changes. It was really hard to do, you know. I mean, mm. I mean, killing me so so but i found out oh, oh a guy in london wanted me to teach and a guy from scotland wanted me to teach and a guy over in Ireland wanted me to visit there, and then a guy over in like france and germany and, and so so this is great so let's say the cost of a an economy ticket was a let's let's just say it was a a, a thousand euros or, or 800 euros something like for an economy ticket back and forth in those days okay so let, let's say it was a Say twelve hundred. I think twelve hundred euros would be about fair. Okay, it, it's probably twice that much now, maybe more. But in those days, so so you know, the host would pay the thousand euros and and then some money from my seminar. Well, after a while, I said, oh, I got two guys. Oh, two guys want to sponsor me. So I go. So I didn't. I didn't charge both guys a thousand. You know, maybe another instructor would have done that. I said, no, no, let's split it. You pay five hundred. He pays five hundred. And then after a while, I got 10 sponsors and 15 sponsors and 20 sponsors. So I used to just divvy up the airfare. So some guys only charged a little bit of money. After a while, I said, oh, look at that. I can actually charge people less money than an economy ticket, and I can fly business or first class. Because I got 10 sponsors. I charge them all, you know, half of what the economy is. I can put it together. I can get a flight. So I started doing that. It was, it was great. I thought, oh my God, this was fantastic. So part of the, my, my how many, you know, my, my daughter's a, a doctor, a you know, scientist, right? And my son's a lawyer and we're very happy with our children. So, you know, but how many birthdays, graduations did I miss, you know, because of all this traveling? So I, I always said to my wife, you know, one day, 
you know, I'm going to make it so I'll be at home all the time, or, or if I go away, it won't be very far. So part of coming to the United States was that I could be kind of centrally located. So if I needed to go to Europe, I could fly to Europe tomorrow, teach a weekend seminar, and come back on Monday. Mm. I wanted to, because I have so many clients here and in South America and Canada and places like that. I could just take a flight across. To, so, you know, next week I got to go to San Francisco, yeah, 45 minute flight. You know, I teach, I come back on the same day if I want, yeah. or I have, to, I have to go up to uh, Vancouver, Canada uh, next month, uh, so three hour, four hour flight. I got to go to New York and Miami. I just, it's four hours over, four hours back. You know, it's simple to do that. And so, so part and parcel of being here because it was close uh, to the rest of the world. And of course, as soon as we got here, I went, oh, I'm finally in the city of angels. Uh, actually, it should be called the city of the devils instead. It's, it's, it is, you know, and we're right downtown Los Angeles, the homelessness and the mental illness is uh, epidemic here. It's, you have no idea. I mean, I'm, I'm we're talking about between 25 and 35,000 homeless people in the DTLA, downtown Los Angeles. But, you know, across Christmas and New Year's, the shootings, the stabbings, the robberies, I'm, I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing here? And like my wife, my wife is a tiny little Japanese girl. She's going, you know, I, I don't even want to, I don't, I don't want her to go up at night, you know, out here. It's, it's, so we're looking to relocate. And if you're, and if your listeners out there, live somewhere which is really nice where <laughs> we don't have the, the chaos and the pandemonium that Los Angeles have. Let us know, <laughs> Patrick McCarthy. I'm, I'm, and by the way, I'm learning more about social media. Um, you know, my, my kids said, dad, nobody's on Facebook. That's just old people. <laughs> they said people on Twitter and Instagram. And so I joined, I have it, but I don't know how to use it yet. So part of my learning process here is I'm going to learn how to use the social media platforms. And who do I look toward as my guru? It would be Grandmaster Jesse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's become my sensei in the, uh, in the cyber, uh, the cyber <laughs> world, social media. But anyway, look, it's been really great. Uh, thanks for letting me talk for so long. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> And yeah, sure. Uh, so anyway, the point is, uh, see, don't ask him a question if you want to get out of here within the next hour. You know, uh, is the is the joke with me? And uh, you know, I Terry after you while you said, oh, you went to a you went to a seminar with McCarthy. Did you do anything? Maybe <laughs> talk all the time. I said, you know, it's funny. I I, and I never heard any instructors complain about the talking part. You know, to the point now where we actually physically have a lecture. You know, if I go and do a weekend seminar, I always mm. try to come on Friday night or Saturday morning or some part where, where the, so the guys who don't want to listen to listen to this stuff, uh, they can come on the Saturday or the Sunday or something. Like that. And the instructors who do want to learn more about, you know, it's history, philosophy, anthropology, culture, uh, 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 pedagogical aspects. They can listen to the lecture, you know, because it's a, you know, it's, it's an important part. You know, there's a, the interesting term uh, called boon budiodo, boon budiodo. Uh, represents, uh, you know, it's kind of like the sword in the pen, you know, uh, the brawn in the brain, you know, it's the ability to balance one's physical training with an intellectual uh, study, something that is not just about headbanging, it's about, uh, even if it's just about understanding mechanics and principles or uh, historical, uh, philosophical underpinnings, or it's, you know, a spiritual, the introspective part of what we do, you know, and, 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 you know, those things are the things that make up the art as well, you know, I mean, you know, I, I went to a dojo a few months ago uh, over in Arizona, and, uh, you know, one of the girls in the dojo, she was nearly 90 years old, you know, had been a green belt for like 50 years or something like that. She goes, ah, I don't care. I'm here for the journey. And I went, that was it. Wisely spoken, you know, uh, wisely spoken. It, it, that's what it's about. You know, not, not everybody looks at it the same way. Mm. No, I was in, I was in uh, uh, Dallas, Texas, teaching. Uh, and anyway, this guy, this guy came to interview me from a, a magazine company. Anyway, and, and uh, I really like. We got along very well. Anyway, and you know, he took the seminar, and and at the end of the day, we met. We had dinner, you know. And he says, you know, do you mind? I said, no, please record it. You know, and, you know, you do whatever you want. You, you know, you you uh, you you know, you deliver uh, the interview any way you like. I'm fine. Anyway, we talk, and I, you know. Did all the stuff, and and anyway, 
And at the end, I said, wait, so what do you think? You want to try some cold Uchinari? <laughs> and he went, oh, no, 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 I'm good. And I went, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. What do you mean you're good? And he goes, because, you know, I was of the mindset in those days, like, if you're doing this and you want to go there and you keep doing this, but you never get there, it's like Einstein's uh, quote on stupidity, you know, mm. and you're doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. You know, it doesn't happen. So I said, I just showed you a way with which to encapsulate everything. There is. I mean, I don't care what, what school you come from, what culture, but, you know, sooner or later you're going to understand it's either percussive impact or it's seizing. And inside the, the seizing, there are all those things I told, you know, joint my first point, take down strangulation, and throw all that. That's all together. So how about instead of I learn another joint lock or he, how about if we just learn all the joint locks? How about all the strangles? from the front, from the back, from the ground, with a garment, without a garment. Uh, how, and, and if you're gonna learn it, better learn how to escape from it as well, and how to put it back on again. So, 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 oh, presto, that's what I did. I did that, I brought together all that which needs to be studied in an application-based point of view. So I was expecting him to say, yo, so I'd like to do some of that. He goes, no, I'm good, no, I'm what? So that was the first for me. And I said, I don't understand. Why, why wouldn't you want to do it? Oh, well, you know, he said, uh, and this is the part about, you know, the art form and the lifelong pursuit. You know, he says, I, I go to the dojo and, uh, you know, the sensei's there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know what the warm-up's going to be, you know, and uh, I know what the kihon waza is going to be. And then I know what the, you know, the Iponeon Sanmon Kumites are going to be. And I know what kata we're going to do. And then, you know, now at my age, he said, you know, when they break off, we start doing the sparring. I go over in a corner and I'll work with some beginners or something like that. And then we finish with more. We do a cool down. We do a little bit of meditation. And bang, that's it. And I, and for, he says, I've been doing that for 30 years. And I went, wow. Okay. See, I, I because I'm always on this upwardly spiral you know, you just learn more and continue to own my skills and, mm. and learn ways about doing the same thing. That's that's me. That's that's all I do all the time. Right? You know? And uh, and I never thought about hmm, that's good. You know, th th there's an opportunity to kind of stop. Hey, hey here's a good story for you. Uh, do you guys know who Steve Bellamy is? Okay, if you don't, you should look him up. He's a British guy. Uh, you know, in his 70s now, um, King's College uh, graduate. Uh, he's been, uh, you know, awarded all kinds of uh, things by, uh, uh, you know, British royalty and stuff like that. The guy's martial arts all his life, and he's been in Japan for more than 50 years, speaks reasonably Japanese very well. One of Don Drager's old students from the old days. Very, very highly respected person in Kōru, in old school Japanese Buddha, right? Anyway, he came up uh, in the 60s in, uh, in Japan under the Goju Kai, not Goju, but Goju Kai with the Yamaguchi Gogan, the cat, you know. Anyway, so I knew him for a long time, and he was uh, responsible for getting me back into shape a few years ago, and, you know, when I had this whole uh, diagnosis thing. And, and uh, anyway, I said to him, I said, you know, Steve, I said, uh, you know, I, I noticed, on, you, know, you know, I mean, you live martial arts it's your whole life. But I, I never see you practice karate. Why don't you practice karate anymore? And he looked, and, you know, he says to me, you know, and we're talking, like, actually back in those days, we were using Skype, right? And uh, he says, uh, I don't understand. What do you mean? I said, well, you know, you came up on a very prominent karate uh, group, and and uh, I never see you with a gi on, I never see you practice karate. And he goes, I'm sorry, Patrick, I don't understand what you mean. I said, how can I make it any clearer? You practice karate, you don't practice it anymore. Why not? And he goes, oh, 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 I see what you mean. He says, I'll make it very simple for you. Uh, do you drive a car? And I went, of course I drive a car. Everybody drives a car. Okay, he said, how did you learn to drive the car? I said, well, I took lessons, you know, and I... Uh, and I uh, took a test, and I passed, and I got a driver's license. <clears throat> he says, uh, do you go back often to take refresher courses or, you know? I said, for what? I know how to drive. He goes, exactly. That's my point. And I went, what? He says, I took karate. I, 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 I mastered it for self-defense. 
I'm not into the sport or anything like that. He says, so what else is there to do? And you know, it, it, it was like, I call these BFOs, you know, blinding flashes of the obvious. It's like this epiphany thing. And I went, that makes sense, man. You know, that, 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 that makes sense, you know? Mm. Because, you know, we're always locked up with, you'll never master the art. It's a lifelong pursuit, which it is. We're not saying it's not. But, I mean, he does Jodo, for example. Jodo's also a lifelong pursuit. You know, arguably, you got to remember, uh, Muso Gonotsuke, who's the head of their style, was, you know, historically. He's the guy who defeated, allegedly defeated, Miyamoto Masashi without using a sword. He used a stick. So if you can overcome a guy with a sword with a stick, there's no need for a sword, so to speak. Mm. And so, I mean, that, and that's been his life and his passion. Ever since. I, thought, yeah, that's I mean, think about it. How about the warrior's blood that's been stained on the uh, his, historical groundwork of our ex total existence? You know, you imagine back in the garrison, you know, Johnny, you're not using that sword very well. You need another three years of practice. You know, the guys who are going to be invading from the north, they're not going to wait for three years. They're going to come get you right now. So you had to have something with your sword that was functionally effective. You know, slash, stab, shield, boom. I mean, the Roman Empire made an art out of that type of thing, you know. And so, I mean, how much do you need to know before you become functional as a, as a fighter, so to speak, to get something working for you? And I thought, that, and that changed the way I think about what it is that brings us together. So, you know, there's lots of different perspectives on what it is that we do. And that's why I always say it's, it's important to quantify what it is that you're talking about and how you want to approach it, because mm -hmm. the art should not be confused with the function. Uh, the sport can never be mixed up with the lifestyle. Uh, the industry has its own policies and practices, the way you, you know, the way you generate revenue and the way you manage the business, you know, those are different dynamics altogether, as is, you know, the fitness part as well. So it's all encapsulated in different sets of outcomes. And that's why another reason why I say, you know, one style doesn't suit you all. You know, there's there's so many other little compartments of learning. And so maybe that's what we'll use for the next time. <laughs> Jesus, don't invite him back next year. You're, you're more than welcome anytime. anytime. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. You just make say, oh, I want to. So if you say to me, let me leave you with this. And, I, and again, I like I love, you know, British culture has always been one of my passions and 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 certainly speakers. Uh, oh, Winston Churchill, one of my one of the best orators in the entire history of the world. You know, but anyway, I, there's a there was a great quote about uh, Churchill. You know, he's asked to speak, you know, uh, Churchill was asked to speak and he goes, uh, uh, he says, uh, they're uh, meeting. And the first part is a bit of a joke, you know, because the guy, he goes, hey, Governor, what are you going to do about housing? And uh, Churchill thinks for a moment, puts up his cigar and looks at him and says, well, my good man, he says, the first thing we're going to do is put an H in front of it, he said. So I've always filled with comedy and jokes. But he said, what do you mean? How long would you like me to speak for? He goes, I, I don't know. I guess, you know, until you make your point. And Churchill says this, he said, well, he said, if you'd like me to speak for an hour, uh, I'll need a, a week or so to prepare. Uh, you know, if you want me to speak for a few hours, I'll just need a, a day or so to prepare. But if you want me to speak all night, I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> yeah. If, if you target and say, oh, hi, today we're going to talk about Patrick McCarthy, and we'd like to talk to Patrick about, uh, um, I don't know, uh, clinch fighting or two-person drills or or just conta or evolution of his – to, and, and, you know, we can target in that particular area. Otherwise, you're going to get this knee jumping on. The, where is he going now? Is he going to make a point here sooner or later? <laughs> well, we could definitely do that for, for the next time. Absolutely. There's, there's plenty of things we could definitely talk about. Absolutely. Here's an interesting thing. You know, one of the reasons why I started doing what I'm doing as far as this, you know, investigatory uh, analyses and uh, searching and uh, researching, if you will. I mean, I'm not a reason. My background is not as a researcher or an anthropologist or something. I was not able to get the answers out of people I wanted, you know. And, and uh, I uh, I started asking questions, you know, back in the 80s. And, uh, and that 
I, I you know, used to get one of two uh, answers. It was like, you know, shut up and just train, you know, or, uh, or oh, it's McCarthy's talking again type of thing, you know. And it's funny, and, oh, I, and I used to love taking pictures, photographs, by the way, you know. And the guy made a joke, oh, McCarthy, have camera, will travel. You know, the reason why I love photographs so much is uh, when I was a youngster, uh, uh, we were the victims of arson in our neighborhood. Uh, anyway, a bunch of houses were burned out. Became a big famous thing by the, they caught the people. It was a big deal back in St. John, New Brunswick in the, uh, around 1958, 59. That's how old I am. And anyway, and so, and, and my mom, I used to ask, hey, mom, where's pictures and photographs of us when we were kids? And she goes, they were all burned. Uh, we lost them all in the fire, you know. She goes, let me get a chance, get photographs, you know, because photos will be something that you will use in the future, look back upon and say, that was an indelible moment. I remember that, or remember this, or did this, or did this. And I went, okay. So I mean, I, I became this passionate. Hey, let's get a photo. Where's McCarthy? He's got to take a photo, you know. And I remember all the guys used to say, oh, an asshole. Every get a photo with McCarthy. You know, you know something? Those guys are contacting me today. Hey, ah, remember those photos? <laughs> Can I get one? <laughs> no, no, you can't. Fifty dollars. <laughs> so, because not only do they serve as signposts to remind you of where you have been, but where you have come from. You know, measurements, you know, all progress is only ever made by the taking of careful measurements. Thank you, Steve Bellamy. And, uh, and it's important to know uh, to create measurements because it helps identify uh, where you were at that time, where you came from, and how far you have come from it. And especially if you're an educator, you, know, you need a measurement. Measurement's a very important thing, you know, uh, to be able to uh, delve into the way lesson planning becomes a phenomenon all on its own. And moving for another uh, topic or an interview. So, no, I'm, I'm happy to keep talking as long as you like, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's all good, but I think we've got, um, we seem to have lost Greg. I don't know where he's gone. Oh, right. oh hang on. I probably bored him to death or something. No, I don't think so. I wonder if his phone has conked out. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so it just means, you know, right? <laughs> it could have done. Um, I'm just going to, oh. I have a question for you. Yeah, sure. What is it? Maybe. Uh, what is it you find most passionate about your study of karate? Me? Oh. Um, no, no. That the person behind you. No, oh, don't say that. I'm on my own here. Oh, <laughs> Freak my. me out. <laughs> um, I think is this is going to sound really self-centered, but it's actually it's been finding out what I'm capable of so much more than I thought I was capable of. I, I walked into a class without really having much of, um, much of an idea what I was getting into, um, fully expecting to be laughed out of the room, to be honest with you. And, um, and, and I've just found it uh, that every single time, there's just enough safeness to keep feeling okay and so much challenge that every single time I do something and I learn something else, um, so I'm I'm definitely on the upward spiral, but I think for the first, you, you must be at a dojo or a, a hall or gathering spot where your teacher openly welcomes this out of the uh, box mindset. Yeah, I mean, in the first, my first teacher, um, I didn't really maybe talk that much or or ask that much, but he was broad-minded I had a lot of different people came in it was a very interesting class my second class was Greg's class he took it on uh, when Jeff retired and of course he is what you see he's very very broad-minded he's he talks like you talk he talks like Ian Abernethy talks he, he's got a really inquiring mind very practical in terms of what it is that we learn and then, um, and now we're in another dojo where Greg and I are both in it. So it was a small, small class, and what it was is that we all used to train on a Sunday morning uh, as a group. And I, I, I ask questions all the time. If I have a teacher who's willing to talk, and I've got a subject that I find interesting, I'll just, I'll just keep asking um, because I like listening to people who are really interesting. And um, so, yeah, we've, we've just. Uh, I just I and I wanted to learn how to do this, so I, I started a podcast. There we go. 
It's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you. I always love meeting new people. I love meeting young people as well. And uh, no. as I say, this, this last week's been a kind of a, you know, I, I'm just underplaying it a little bit, but I mean, you know, like I just say, a couple of people I know who were exposed to die. And uh, I mean, literally this morning when I, when I turned on my computer, I got a, I got a, one of the first emails I looked at was a, an old friend and colleague of mine from Canada who told me that my first teacher had just passed away. And so I'm, I'm going to have to deal with that after I speak to you. Yeah, that's very yeah. sad. I'm very sorry to hear that. I mean, I wasn't expecting I mean, He was, you know, I mean, look at, look at the truth is, I mean, he, he was my teacher in the 1960s. You know, he kind of went down a path that I was, that wasn't my path. So we kind of lost touch. And I, I bumped into his wife many, many, many years later. And she told me, you know, they divorced and la, 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 and this and this. Yeah. And, you know, and so I was very sorry to hear that. But, you know, I always remember, I always try to remember people from, from, what it was that brought us together and not what somebody else thought of, you know. Yeah. And for me, it was, it was a magical time. And he was a, and you got to remember, I was a kid at the same time, so, and he was like an adult. So it was a, uh, uh, it was very inspirational at the time. So I'm very sorry to hear that he's passed away. So is Greg trying to get back online at all? I'm just, I'm just having another look. I'm not seeing anything. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we can do anything about that. So it might be best to just for us to finish up, um, maybe because I've I've just sent him a message and um, I'm not seeing him picking her up. So you know, I got, I got my I have my trusty telephone right here, and I know I have him on here. Oh, Greg and I are not connected, so I can't have a call. Okay, well, let me try calling on this one then. And if, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, well, um, you can always say, "Oh, and Greg, after we lost you, Patrick told me the secrets. Oh, you missed them all, man." <laughs> the secret of karate, the mystical secret, the one and only secret. Well, look, Pat, if you, if, um, sorry, Hanshi, have I, do, is it impolite to call you Pat? Yes, His Royal Highness, please. I beg your pardon. Your Royal Highness, I'm so sorry. Um. <laughs> That's interesting. I, uh, for example, I have, uh, I mean, I have students for, God, uh, and I still have some of my original Canadian students, and they, uh, so, so from my early days as Kung Fu, uh, they call me Sifu. I've got other guys who call me Pat. I got people call me Patrick. Uh, I got my wife calls me Hey You, uh, unless it's payday. Oh, it's a joke, by the way. Uh, I have students call me Sensei and Kyosha. I'm really, I've been known by so many names. And I always, I tell this, especially to people in correspondence. I said, I'm not, I'm not Japanese, you know. And, and usually if I'm speaking to another foreigner, they're not Japanese as well. And, and I don't think this is going to be, he doesn't respect me and call me sensei. You know, like if a guy's contacting you, it's because he's interested in you anyway. If he's coming to your dojo, and I mean, unless you train or teach a person inside our tradition, this is what we do. And if you live in Japan, you know, you're identified by your title and everything. He's never really big on that, you know. But a lot of people use it as a sign of respect. For me, I really don't care. I would have guessed if you guys were not interested in what I was doing, you wouldn't have contacted me in the first place. No, no, of course. And if, and if where you come from, if your environment or is, is to refer to your senior or as your instructor by his, his given name, what's wrong with that? You know, well, I do know that if you were in Japan, if we were Japanese, for example, you're in Japan, it would be unheard of, you know. Of Nobody course, would. no, of course. Uh, but it was a, it was a, it was a normal, natural slip. I hear, I hear a name, I use it, I, and I forgot. So. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody. I, I think even if I, even the people who love me when they're talking, they're all, you know, some hot chicks for this wonderful person. You know, they're going, exactly. that's a great moment. And you know, and, and you know, you see the way I am, and and uh, you know, I, I, I'm always like this. I mean, I'm all animated, and I love what I do. And when I teach, I'm this way. And then when we work for a pint later, I'm this way. And, and you know, and he's always like, Jesus Christ, if you have another pint, we're not going to be able to get up train the next couple 
be the first time for that either. You know? yeah. I and I, I love, I used to love going to Scotland, Jimmy Gray and all those guys, they're good friends of mine, you know. And, and the problem was every time I go there, man, I don't even know what time it is when we leave the pub at night. You know, thank God they close at certain hours, you know. But that's just the way I am. I, you know, I'm a very personable type uh, guy. And, and, and what you call me is, is not half as important as the conversation we have. So, so whatever, whatever you like, that's good. Thank you. Well, thank you, Hanshi. I'll try to stick to Hanshi. I'd like to stick to Hanshi. Oh, thank you so much for your time. And is it is it Sue or is it Susie? Sue, normally Sue. It, I'm, I'm called Sue, Susie, and Susan, but I'll, I don't mind any of them. Um, but thank you so much, Hanshi, for your time and um, your extreme patience and your wealth of knowledge. It's been so generous of you. Thank you. Please give my best to Greg and say thank you. Sorry we lost him. I look forward to speaking to you guys again. Okay. Speak to you again soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. 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 Well, thank you for joining us for this epic two episodes with um, me and Greg and Hanshi Patrick McCarthy. It's been a fascinating epic it has been epic really has been yeah um fantastic two episodes that was um i sat and listened pretty much all the way through fascinating education we both did (laughs) we both just had our minds blown i think we did i think we actually asked maybe three questions in the whole thing so yeah um it, it just goes to show just how much Patrick McCarthy can talk about his subjects. Amazing. Mm, Absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, we hope you all enjoyed it. Yes. Stay safe. Yes. And uh, we'll speak to you all soon. Bye. Goodbye.